You're listening to Smart Businesses Do This. And in this episode, I interview best-selling author Ryan Levesque. Discover the ask method that transformed the business world and how exactly asking the right questions can bring new high-quality leads to your business. You are listening to Smart Businesses Do This, the podcast show for freelancers, side hustlers, and upcoming small business owners who want to transform their current business or business idea into a company that is built to succeed, simple to run, and gives you the freedom to live your life on your own terms. I'm your host, Adam Lyons. Let's get started. In today's episode, I'm joined by Ryan Levesque, who is an author, but not just an author of one book. He's an author of two incredible books that have transformed the entire business world. The books are Ask and Choose. And Ryan, am I right in, you're like a best-selling author at this point, right? With both of these books? You know, these, it's crazy to think, but uh, these books have both become number one national best-selling books. Uh, you know, collectively have sold hundreds of thousands of copies around the world, published in all these different languages. And I still have to kind of pinch myself because a few short years ago, uh, none of that was there. And uh, it's just really cool to be able to, you know, be sharing, um, you know, what's worked for me in our business over the last 10 years and the mistakes that I've made along the way. I think one of the fascinating things about this, because of course the audience listeners don't know this, but we knew each other before you had any of this success. I remember you when you were in a completely different industry. And so obviously we've been friends for a while, but what blows me away is how many people I get nowadays who hire me and ask me if I'm familiar with the ask method, which of course is the method that you created. I mean, that's your entire business now, right? It's our entire business in this market, you know, and what's, what's fascinating, what I think your listeners will really appreciate is uh, in my latest book, Choose, I talk about uh, why I selected the 23 different niche markets that I went into over the last decade. Um, one of those niche markets was in a, uh, the realm of psychology, um, mm-hmm. specifically in the realm of memory improvement. And that's, I think, how you and I were initially connected. And what's crazy now is bringing this full circle. This is, you know, that business, we started it almost uh, 10 years ago, eight or nine years ago. And um, what's crazy now is we're talking about it um, as one of these 23 markets. And uh, you and I at that time were at very different stages of our life, family-wise, kids-wise, business-wise. And here we are having this great conversation about sort of what's transpired over the last decade. I love it. I really do want to share the story of how you and I connected because I'm going to be honest with you, you saved my butt, man. I was going to fail. I was going to fail an exam so bad. I was desperate and I was put in touch with you. So uh, yeah, so looking back, I, I decided I was going to become a yoga expert. And you know, for the listeners, I, I do this every so often. I decide I want to push my own boundaries and do something different. And a big part of psychology hacking is, as you know, learning the things you don't know and experiencing the things you don't know. And I wanted to do yoga, but I figured that if I was going to do it, then I'd do it and become a yoga expert. And of course, the only courses they do are official courses, like to become a teacher. So I turn up as the only non-yogi practitioner of this course. And And it's a three-month program, and I struggle with remembering things. I've got this really bad memory. And so after three months, you're supposed to learn 200 Sanskrit words. And then when I've got like two days before the final exam, we had a mock exam, and I think I scored like 32%. And so I'm like, there is no way that I'm going to pass this exam. Like not in a million years. I'd have to do some kind of super memory thing. And that's when, Ryan, I was given your details, and you had this program, uh, Rocket Memory, right? Rocket Memory, that's right. 
Yeah, that's right. Rocket memory. And I read the program in eight hours, literally start to finish in eight hours. Cause one of the skills that I've picked up through doing psychology hacking, um, is that I'm a speed reader. So I can read a 200 page book in literally a few hours, but rocket memory is a little bit different. The entire program, um, was more than just a book and I had to take notes and I had to learn how to use it. So it took a lot longer than just a few hours, but by applying everything that you taught inside that book, uh, with the memory palace and everything, I think I ended up getting like a 90, 97% on the final exam. And man, that was all thanks to you. You know, that is like the best testimony in the world, how Adam Lyons became one of the world's greatest yogi instructors uh, through the power of improving his memory. I love it, man. Yeah, man, it was pretty impressive. And uh, I'm really happy that that happened, you know? So this is great that we're talking about this, right? Because, you know, for me, you know, uh, people always kind of ask me, like, how did you get into what you're doing now? Uh, how did you get into the memory market among like all the markets that you went into? Um, and like, how does it all kind of tie together in business? You know, so, so for me, and I don't know if you know this side of the story, um, you know, in my latest book, Choose, I talk about the markets that I went into and, and I've gone into some pretty obscure markets. The first market I went, in, went into was the Scrabble tile jewelry market. Um, and a bunch of other markets. And uh, at this point, you know, I'd, I'd gone to school, graduated from college, quit my corporate career to basically teach people how to make jewelry online through this ebook. Now, my background is one where, you know, I grew up blue collar, first my family to go to college, uh, but I went to college at the Ivy League level to study neuroscience. So my parents, who worked super hard growing up, um, you know, said, all right, their son is going to become the next great neuroscientist or neurosurgeon or neurologist. And my best friend in college is actually a neurologist at the Mayo Clinic. So he's, you know, he went all the way with this. But after college, I decided not to pursue medicine. I wanted to, I didn't know really what I wanted to do. So I worked on Wall Street. I worked in, in investment banking for a few years. And I knew that that wasn't for me. And then uh, a few years later, I moved to China. The, the other thing I studied in college was Chinese, East Asian studies. And I wanted to live and work in China. So I did that for about four or five years. And uh, after it was all said and done, you know, I left neuroscience to work on Wall Street, to work in China. And then I gave it all up to uh, sell an ebook teaching people how to make jewelry online. And my parents, as you can imagine, were just, they're like, what? They actually, you know, my mom thought I was having a mental breakdown. She thought, what is going on? You've thrown away your education. You've thrown away your career. What are you doing with your life? This is insane. And so a few years after, you know, I went into business for myself, basically to make my parents proud and to show them that I was actually going to do something with my degree that's the reason why I decided to go into the memory market was to actually do something with that neuroscience uh, background and uh, and put it to you. So they would actually, you know, be a little bit happier with their son. So that's the kind of big, long story as to why that market among, uh, you know, all the other businesses. You know, my first book, Ask, I revealed and there's a lot of psychology. So because of my background and because of uh, one of my most important mentors, uh, Dr. Glenn Livingston, who's a a, a marketing psychologist. So he's a, a clinical psychologist that entered into the marketing world. And because of his mentorship and my background, there's a lot of psychology and even some neuroscience baked into everything that I do and then everything that we now teach in our business. And in that first book, Ask, I revealed the methodology I use to successfully enter 23 different markets. And basically, it's a, it's a process for figuring out what people want to buy in any market. So if you're thinking about starting a business, it's the process to figure out exactly what people want to buy, 
exactly what language patterns to use to get them to want to buy it from you and exactly how to give it to them. So basically it's a way to ensure that you're going to be successful, whatever business you want to start. And that's the first book that, um, you know, became a, a, a runaway number one bestseller. Um, then uh, what I realized in that book, uh, Adam, is that I failed to teach people um, why and how I chose the 23 markets I went into. So like why those markets out of the million possible business ideas that you could go into, why those 23? And that's what this next book is about. It's about the process for deciding on your next business opportunity, your next niche, your next market. Um, it's equally baked with psychology. And it's really, even though it came after Ask, it's really the, the predecessor. It's the book you should read first is what it comes down to. And in it, I talk a lot about uh, different psychological factors, which I know we're going to uh, get into some of them here uh, in our conversation. But I just wanted to provide that context around kind of, you know, why things are the way they are, set the stage for our conversation, and then dive into some kind of the, the good meat and tips that people can uh, take away. Yeah, no, I absolutely love that. And you know, I found it fascinating as well because, you know, it's one of the most common questions that my newest students ask me is how do I choose which business to start? Because I find that most people, they've got like three or four different ideas and they never know which one to do. You know, they're constantly chopping and changing. And I'm sure that, you know, you were kind of like that as well back in the day before you found out what you wanted to do. And I know I was like that as well. So, uh, so let's dive into it. Let's like really look at, you know, some of the psychological hacks behind, behind what you're doing. Um, actually, I made a comment the other day that, that made me think about this. It was uh, one of my favorite Bruce Lee quotes, which is before you study the art, a punch is a punch and a kick is a kick. But once you study it and you learn it, you realize that a punch is no longer a punch and a kick is no longer a kick. But ultimately, when you master it, you realize actually a punch is a punch and a kick is a kick. As long as you, you know, as long as you understand the basic movements and refine them and you're doing things correctly, you're going to be good. You know, and I think this is one of the things that um, I don't fear someone that's like learned a lot of different techniques. Uh, I fear someone who has studied how to punch one way a thousand times because that's a lot more scary than somebody who has studied a thousand different ways to punch. And so I love that. I think that's really powerful. And I really do think this applies to business. What we're looking for is we're trying to find the basic nugget that if somebody did just one thing, um, it would move them in the right direction. And I love the fact that in your book, you talk about this analogy that if you jump into the wrong river and that river is rushing too fast, then your boat's going to break. So you've got to make sure that you go into the right market with the right boat in the right way and everything's aligned. And, you know, that's how you choose correctly. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, the thing that, that comes to mind when you, when you bring that up is, and this is kind of the first, and it's going to sound very simple when I say it, but the, in reality, it's profound. We are defined by the questions we ask ourselves. In fact, if you look at the way you speak to yourself, uh, questions is the language we use for self-talk. We're constantly asking ourselves questions on a daily basis. Should I wear this or should I wear that? What should I say? What should I write in this email? What should I have for lunch? Was I an idiot when I did that? Was that the wrong thing to do? We're constantly having, posing ourselves questions and answering those questions. So the implication of that is change your questions and you can change your life. Now in business, what I've found in serving literally tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of entrepreneurs is that there's this misconception that when it comes to starting a business, the question you should be focused on is the question of what, what should I sell? What type of business should I start? What should I create? But the reality is that's the wrong question to be asking. 
The question you want to be asking is who? Who should I serve? Who is my market? Who is my ideal customer? The what will come, but the, the, the who is the foundation on which your entire business is built. So there's a very profound, broad reaching implications of this conversation right now. Change your questions and change your life. Pay attention to the questions you're asking yourself. Start asking yourself different questions. You'll change your life. But just in the scope of this conversation, as it relates to starting your business, the whole paradigm shift begins with instead of asking what, start by asking who. I actually love that. There was a moment that happened earlier today in our office. Um, so I was talking about changing the questions that we ask to help us move in a better direction. And uh, the word what is almost always a bad question. So we're actually outlining some new projects that we're going to be doing over the next quarter. And for the first three hours of this meeting, you know, it ended up being a very long meeting. Um, you know, we took a, we were just going over and everyone's asking all these silly questions and we took a 10 minute break. But then when we came back to the meeting, there were a lot of questions going around and all of the staff were saying, what are we going to do when this happens? What should we do about this? And I paused and everyone was like looking at me and I said, Hey guys, wait a minute. Let's look at this. We've shifted the way that we talk because before we had the 10 minute break, we had this long meeting, we were problem solving and we were trying to, you know, get things solved. But now since we've come back, we're just trying to identify more problems, you know, so let's start really simple with some house rules. You know, let's talk about how are we planning to do something? And it shifted the entire mentality from a very negative space where we're just constantly asking the what question and rapidly the negativity disappears. And what I love about what you're doing here is that if someone's trying to start their business, we don't want to be thinking what or how, but you know, you want to be thinking who is this business for? And I absolutely love that. And I think so many people fail to think that through. Exactly. You know, in this who question, it has uh, wider reaching implications as well. So let's take another example from the book. So I take people through this process uh, that's called brainstorm test shoes. So you brainstorm the possibilities of what type of uh, business you might go into, what type of niche you might focus on. And I take people through a number of exercises to go through that brainstorm process. We can talk about um, uh, uh, you know, one or two of those for here for sure. Then I take people through a number of tests and th there are seven tests that uh, I've discovered basically evaluating every single one of the markets that I've gone into and the markets that my clients and students have gone into. And these are the seven tests that determine if you have a green light, yellow light, or red light with the idea you're thinking about pursuing. And if you have a green light, then you can proceed. If you have a yellow light, proceed with caution. Watch out. There are a couple red flags you need to be aware of going in. And uh, if you have a red light, it means start over. Sort of like you've put your boat in the wrong river, it doesn't matter how hard you paddle. It doesn't matter how good your equipment is, how expensive your boat is. You're just never going to get to your destination. So take the boat out of the river and let's find a river that's going to get you to where you want to go. So the name of the game is to find a green light, right? And so you want something that passes each of these seven tests. And one of the tests is around competition. One of the biggest questions I always get is around competition. And usually it's a mistake that I see people make. And the mistake happens in one of several sort of uh, flavors. And both of these at the end of the day are mindset mistakes. So they are very uh, uh, psychological in nature. Uh, so the first mistake I see people make is like this. They, they have this, this idea that they're super excited about. Um, they go online, they look and they say, ah, someone's already doing it. Mm -hmm. And they close the book on the idea. Or there's another shade of the flavor, which is like this, where people say, um, they, they go, they do the research, they have this great idea, they go online and they say, they, they look and they say, oh my gosh, nobody's doing this. 
we're going to get rich, <laughs> right? And the reality is both of those are problematic for different reasons. But if we take the second one for a moment and it ties back to the who conversation, you'll see how, how, it, how it all comes together in just a minute. Um, but there's this phrase that one of my mentors taught me. In fact, this was a, a, a phrase that I learned from Dr. Glenn Livingston, one of my most important mentors. And he used to say, Ryan, remember this for your entire career. Pioneers get shot, but settlers get rich. What do you mean by that exactly? Well, what he meant is that you don't want to be the first to market. You don't want to be the first to do anything online. In fact, if you look at the most successful companies of our generation, if you look at you know, Google, Facebook, Apple, any one of these most successful companies, you're going to find that none of them was the first to market. Facebook was not the first social uh, media platform. Google was not the first search engine. Apple was not the first to sell smartphones and MP3 players. They just found a market and they either built a better mousetrap or uh, used a combination of better marketing to make their product the dominant product in that space. And so well, what does that tell us? Well, it tells us that the secret when it comes to competition is to be focused on this who question. The, the magic combination that I've found that you want to be looking for is you want to go into a market where somebody is succeeding in spite of themselves. Mm -hmm. And what that means is they're making money you know for a fact they're making money and yet they're doing four or five or six things totally wrong. And if you just go in there and improve on maybe one of these four or five or six things, uh, you are going to become the market leader. So once again, it's not a question about what, it's a question of who. Who is succeeding in spite of themselves in the market you're thinking about going into? And if you find that, and I walk through the tests in the book on how to actually figure that out. But if you find that, then you know you're on the right track. And I found that in the memory market, by the way, the market that you and I were first connected on. I found someone who was making a lot of money in that market. And I looked at their business and I said, how are they succeeding despite making these four or five or six big mistakes? And I simply came in the market, built a better mousetrap, built a better product, built better marketing, and ended up overtaking um, you know, their place as market leader in the market. I, I love that you're saying this. This is exactly what happened in a um, in the gaming market that we moved into with the the board game market. Um, I originally was at a convention, a game convention, because obviously I, I play a lot of board games. And there was a guy that was running a YouTube channel where they play games on YouTube. And he was asking me for marketing advice. And I instantly dismissed him as maybe earning like 50 to 100 grand a year and not being able to afford my rates. So I told him, I was like, look, you know, my rates are, are this much is like a, a significant amount of money. Um, and I was like, but, you know, I'm willing to work with people, especially in a market that I think would be fun. Um, you know, why don't you tell me what your gross revenue is? And, uh, and you know, I'll be more than happy to, to see if I can give you a discount. And I messed myself up because I assumed that they just didn't have any money. And he's like, yeah, we're doing between 1.5 to 3 million a year. And I shot myself in the foot because I'd already told him I'd, I'd go for a discount and he was making more than enough money to afford my rates. But I realized that they were doing a lot of things wrong. Um, long story short, I messed up the sale because I basically priced myself so low that they didn't realize that I would be any good. You know, they were like, well, you know, we're going to go with these other guys. They're more expensive. Um, and so I decided that instead I would jump into the market myself and prove to them and so we rapidly are gaining on them. They're still the market leader at the moment, but we're moving at a rate of knots. We've only been in the market for about 18 months and we're already like their top three competitors and all the metrics are like we overtake them within the next year or so. And that's the combination you want to be looking for, right? Is like when you're pursuing any opportunity, that's one of the factors that's, that's critical is who else 
has already blazed the trail? Who else has already pioneered this space and yet is making a handful of mistakes that if you just fixed one of them, you could become the market leader in you know a period of uh, a short amount of time. So that's awesome. Um, I love that. I don't love the fact that you uh, undercut your own oh. pricing in that. Um, but there's a lesson in that right there, right? It's like you can't jump to any conclusions um, without knowing all the facts. You absolutely can't. And I'm so glad because it did turn into a great opportunity. It's one of my favorite businesses now. Uh, but it's yeah, actually, uh, you know, just to get a little bit technical with you, um, in this industry, we've managed to uh, maintain one advert on Facebook. I know you, you care about this. Other, other people might not, but this is more fun for me. Uh, we've got one advert that we've maintained a relevancy of 10 for over eight months. Just one ad. Yeah. And it's, it's like the holy grail of advertising for anyone listening. <laughs> but yeah, one ad, the same ad, it's still a relevancy 10. Wow. Good for you. That's incredible. Thanks, man. Yeah, really, really proud of that one. Um, okay. So I love this. That's a really good psychology hack, right? Which is think who, not um, not what, first of all. Um, and of course, Choose goes into this in depth, right? I mean, explains all these elements of how to find, which which blows me away, by the way, because you know there are people out there charging thousands of dollars to give people, um, you know, market analysis to help them work out what industry they should move into. You know, it's, uh, it's funny that you bring that up. There are a few things that uh, for literally months, my team and I were debating, are we going to reveal, uh, you know, this information? And And, you know, to back up for a moment, the reason why I wrote this book is because with my first book, Ask, I had people who are having a tremendous amount of success in business who had read the book, who would write into me and share their results. I had people like Jamal who, you know, was making $17 an hour and he made $600,000 in his first year in business, basically following exactly what I teach in the book step-by-step. Step. Guys like Charlie, who had like a little business, who's making like 10 or $11,000 a month. And he grow, grows his business to $2.2 million a year. So it's cool hearing stories like that. But when you write a book, you also get letters from people who say, dude, I read your book and it didn't work. Um, and it pained me. Like it created a lot of pain. Cause it's like, well, you know, it's, that's my baby. And you know, you start questioning yourself and you start, you know, all the, the mental head trash that I know you spent a lot of time helping, um, people overcome things like, you know, imposter syndrome and, um, you know, fear of failure and all of these things just start kind of creeping in, in your mind. And so I became very curious as to what was the reason that was separating those who were successful and those who were unsuccessful. And I became really inspired by the work of Jim Collins, who wrote uh, Good to Great, Great by Choice, Built to Last. Um, basically, if you're not familiar with his work, uh, he has uh, studied publicly traded companies and has looked for the factors that have separated publicly traded companies that have been successful for decades from those that are successful for a few years and then kind of just disappear. And we all see companies like that, right? That are successful mm -hmm. for a bit and then they kind of fall by the wayside. And I was interest, is similarly interested in looking at what was it that separated the successful uh, uh, entrepreneurs from those who were unsuccessful. And all roads kept pointing back to looking at the market, looking at the market. And, you know, it's easy for Adam, you and I to say, pick a good market, pick a good niche. But what the hell does that mean? Right? Like, what does that mean? And so one of the dimensions um, uh, that uh, we're very curious to explore is around market uh, size. Because that's one of the most common questions I get. Like, should I, you know, is the, the, uh, the gaming niche that you're in, is it a good size niche? Or is it too small? Or is it too big? Right? Um, mm -hmm. I get that question all the time. And there are phrases that, you know, um, you know some, uh, some of your listeners may be familiar with, like there are riches in niches or go inch wide, mile deep, right? But what does that mean exactly? And I was curious 
uh, to know as well, because I didn't have a good answer to this question. So we started looking at the keyword search volume in every single one of our markets. Now, candidly, of the 23 markets that I've gone into, some have been more successful than others. And so I wanted to see, was there any correlation between market size and success? And to expand our data set, I looked at my uh, clients and our students as well. And what we found, Adam, was fascinating. We found that every single one of our home run markets, the ones that just knocked it out of the park, were all within a very similar market size. In fact, when we looked at a free tool called Google Trends, uh, which many people are familiar with, uh, and we plotted the keyword search volume in these markets, uh, they were all within a very narrow band. And every single one of our failures and every single one of the markets that really never took off in a big way were outside this band. Now, you mentioned the information that we reveal in the book that, you know, many people would charge tens of thousands of dollars. So um, for months, my team and I debated, are we going to publish what our most successful keywords are? Because like, as you know, like in your business, your keywords and your most successful keywords, that's kind of like, you know, part of your secret sauce. Yeah, yeah that's the lifeblood. <laughs> that's the lifeblood of your business. And I knew that even though the book is uh, to teach people how to choose your own market, we would still get some readers who would say, well, I'm just going to hit the easy button. I'm just going to go in the markets that Ryan has already figured out are home runs. Cause like that's easier than trying to figure out my own market. And we knew we were going to attract competition. So for months we debated do we reveal what these keywords are or not? And then in the end, uh, we made a decision that, um, you know, kind of like Elon Musk and just publishing, you know, the, um, you know, the operating system for Tesla and making it open source. We just said, you know what, there's going to be more good in the world if we reveal this data. So in the book, we reveal what those keywords are so that anybody, literally anyone can take, you can take your business idea, compare it to uh, these keywords and we teach you how to figure out something called your bullseye keyword. So you compare your bullseye keyword against the keywords in this, uh, uh, these reference keywords, we call them Rosetta Stone keywords. Uh, when you compare them against these Rosetta Stone keywords, you can see is your, uh, your niche, is it in the sweet spot or is it too big, too small um, or just right? And so that's an example of, uh, you know, something that we just decided to, you know, I just wanted to make this like, I just wanted to give it away. <laughs> you know, I just wanted people to get amazing results. Um, and, um, um, and this is one of the things that we decided to just leave it all in there, include it in the book, hold nothing back and, uh, and, and put it all in. Well, I think what I love about that as well is when you do something like that, you create a legacy. You know, when you keep it secret, it dies with you. But when you, when you give it out in that way, sure, it might impact you in the short term, but in the long term, it will be a legacy that lives on and will continue to aspire people. And what I love about this book is while it is very technical currently, like you need to understand the basics of keywords and stuff like that, the principles will apply forever. Even if the internet were to go away, the concept of understanding who in your market needs something, there will just be another tool to find it. Exactly. Exactly. The concepts are timeless and the tactics are very timely, meaning it's something that you can get your head around very easily and you can use it for the rest of your life. And at the same time, I've tried to make it as tactical as possible, meaning you can read the book and literally, you know, put the book, you know, fold it open on your chair next to you, go to your computer, type in a few things, get some results, pick the book back up, read the next paragraph and just work through it like that as well. I, I love it. 
Um, so I want to I want to go one better because we're, we're getting towards the end. But I want to give you something, Ryan. I've, I've got a secret for you. Um, I, I mentioned this relevancy ten ad earlier on today. Um, and if, if anyone's interested in in Facebook ads or advertising in general, um, I took what I learned from Ryan, and as I did with the rocket memory. Um, I applied it to a, a method of my own and I created something. And so my, my secret golden ad, what I haven't told you is I actually have one in every niche that I have and they're all relevancy nine or 10 and they stay that way. And uh, Ryan, it was because of you and the ask method. So what's the secret? You have me <laughs> on the edge of my seat. I know everyone listening to this right now. What's the secret? Tell us. What's the, right. what's the, what's the goal? So, How do we do this? Full, full credit. Totally got it from, from listening to you, but, but we tweaked it. What we do is before we uh, before we create an ad, we run a survey to the audience that we believe wants the product, right? So we will run uh, we'll run a survey. Now we don't go as deep as your surveys. Our surveys are very simple. We create them in Google Forms, and um, the questions are really simple. We have four questions. The first question is very simple, like uh, you know what industry are you in or something, something basic or oh, what region, where do you live, right? Something like that. Nothing important. Um, and then the next question is the first one. Um, if there were three things that we could help you with this industry or this product or this business, what would those three things be? Please select them from a list. And we will give them a list of 40 things. We brainstorm as many topics as we can that people might want to learn about. And then the third question is, um, if there was one thing um, about this industry or product or business or what have you that frustrates you, what is that one thing? And we give them a huge list. Now, um, where this differs from the ask method, uh, just for, for those reading, read the book and learn it for real. But the, the ask method um, will go real deep and give you a full analysis and teach you to analyze. Whereas we're kind of skimming the surface because we're predicting what people might want, but we give them a lot of options. And then the fourth question is, do you have five minutes to jump on a call and discuss this in further? Uh, and that's, that's the survey. And then we offer a gift voucher to um, one of X amount of 100 people that, uh, that fill in the survey. And it's like a $100 gift card. Um, and key point here that is relevant to that industry. So if it was a video game industry, it'd be a Steam gift card to download video games, right? So it, it's relevant to their, their interests. So then we run this survey for about uh, a week or two until we get a relevant amount of data, which is about a thousand people fill it in. And it will be rapidly obvious which are the three winning things that people want to learn about and what is their big frustration. And now we mix this with some copywriting, which is essentially in copywriting for anyone that's interested. Uh, one of the best taglines you can ever use, kind of like the control, is how to get A, B or C without X. And so now we have the three things they want and the one problem they don't want to have. And we then will write four articles, one on each of those topics. So the first one will be how to get A, the second one, how to get B, how to get C. And the last one is um, how to not deal with whatever the problem is. Finally, we'll run ads to all of those to make sure that we've written them well and we get the comments. Everyone's like, I love this, I love this, I love this. Comments are really important. And then at the very end, we compile all four articles into a single ebook. And then we run an ad to that ebook using the testimonials from all the articles as evidence of how good the content is. And then we just run an ad to the original cold audience we ran the survey to that now says how to get ABC without X. Here's the testimonials that say how great this ebook is. Give us your email address. 
Dude, I love it. That's so good. Thanks, man. Yeah, that's our that's our golden nugget, and it, it really came from from the book Ask and Use Again. This is what I love about you know about your stuff. Why I resonate with it? It's so practical. You know, because of Rocket Memory, I ended up passing my yoga exam because of the Ask method um, and tweaking it. We now continually get um, relevancy nine and ten ads that are lead magnets that are just generating leads every single day for us. Um, so it's it's super, and uh, the opt in rate is about seventy percent to that. Just to to blow you away on that as well. Like our, our opt-in rate is crazy high um, that people that want the email because we give them an option to get the guide without opting their email in um, because that makes it GDPR compliant. I don't know if, uh, if you're interested in the European uh, marketing side of things, but you have to give people an option in the UK if you give them a freebie to not give you their email address. Right. Yeah, no, dude, that is, that is great. And it's, uh, it's truly an extension of, uh, of ask. And I love how the ways in which you've um, you've innovated on it. And it really just underscores, um, you know, that how elegant it can be. Like you don't have to guess, right? I feel like as, as entrepreneurs um, and in life, we, we spend a lot of time guessing, mm-hmm. right? Um, and the reality is um, for a lot of decisions, we make so many decisions, you know, by whatever estimate you look at, we make, you know, you know 5,000, 10,000 decisions a day. Um, we suffer from decision fatigue and we're not really good at deciding things in business. So if you can uh, outsource those decisions, <laughs> to your market, which is infinitely more intelligent than you are, than I am, than any of us are, um, you not only relieve yourself from that pressure of having to get it right. Like, you know, as, 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 as uh, thorough as your knowledge might be in any one of these niches, um, I'm going to 10 times out of 10, uh, sorry, dude, I am going to, uh, bet on your market to get the answer right versus you. Right. Um, I and agree. I would do the same thing for me. I've learned that no matter how knowledgeable I think I am about a market, I've learned to trust what the market says and to figure out exactly what it is that people want to buy, the language to use to, to sell it to them. And you've given one example here just with that great construction, how to get A, B and C without D um, is just a great illustration uh, of that in action. So that's cool. Thanks, man. Yeah, I, you know, it's so huge. And it really did give us some things that we never even thought of. Like we just, we brainstormed what the problems would be. And one of the things that we thought would never be an issue, which is um, how do we find more time to have leisure time? That was one of the things that came up. And when you're thinking about what people want, they want like, you know, more money or more success. We would never have thought of um, leisure time being the thing that won. But one of our interns was like, oh, I kind of wish I had more time to just goof off. And turned out that's what everyone wanted. That was what our market wanted. These successful people wanted more time to goof off. That's great. So I want to I want to leave people with, uh, in the time I've left, one more psychological hack. Please, yes, yeah, get it, get it. This is a this is a good one. This is one of my. Um, this is one that's been more impactful for me, both uh, in improving myself and improving my business. And it has to do with the psychology of micro commitments. Now, what is that exactly? So uh, micro commitments is a term to describe uh, the process of asking yourself or anybody else to do something that you want them to do, but breaking that thing down into tiny incremental bite-sized pieces. Now, I first learned the power of micro commitments studying the work of Dr. Robert Maurer. And Dr. Robert Maurer is a researcher out of California, and he spent a lot of time studying the psychology of fear. When I studied neuroscience at Brown, um, I was a very afraid person. First in my family to go to college, here I am going to an Ivy League school, blue collar kid. 
I'm with kids that went to the best prep schools in the country and around the world. And I felt like a fish out of water. I felt so out of place. I kept asking myself, like, how did I arrive here? Like, why am I here? And I was very afraid, very, very afraid. And so I started studying the psychology of fear and it led me to the work of Dr. Robert Maurer. And Dr. Robert Maurer has published a bunch of um, uh, academic studies. He's also published some pop psychology books as well. Um, One of them is called uh, One Small Step, The Power of Kaizen. Now, Kaizen, if you're not familiar with it, is the the Japanese concept of making small daily incremental improvement, specifically in business, but it's also something that you can do in your life. And here's the reason why micro commitments work so well on yourself and why they work so well in business. I'll explain the business application in just a minute. Um, Whenever you ask yourself to make any sort of change in your life, whether that's a, a positive change or negative change, your brain's job is to not change. Your brain's job is to keep you safe. And the way your brain keeps you safe is by keeping things the same. Because anytime you try something new or different, it's a risk. You're putting yourself in a threatening situation. You actually elicit the fight or flight response in the limbic system, specifically in the amygdala in your brain. You, you actually elicit that response. So whenever you say, um, you know what, let's, um, uh, I'm going to go work out. Even though working out is a positive change, your brain is firing off the warning bell saying, warning, warning, threat, threat, threat. Now, the way you hack that fight or flight response is to use the power of micro commitments. What do I mean by that? Instead of asking yourself to go work out, again, asking yourself questions, bringing this conversation full circle, you want to ask yourself, what is the step that is so small, it's literally impossible to fail? So in other words, not just, um, you know, uh, going to work out, but the next impossible to fail step could be taking one step in the direction of your running shoes. Like the step needs to be so small, it's laughable. If you're uh, having anxiety and you feel that fight or flight response kicking in around maybe uh, uh, writing an email or writing an article for your blog or writing that Facebook post that you're talking about, like that might be scary. So what you do is you shrink the size of the step to be so small, it's literally impossible for you to fail. So an impossible to fail step might be typing one keystroke on your keyboard or just typing nonsense with your fingers on your keyboard. Now, so that's the hack that you can use on yourself. You can use that in your entire life. Here's the hack as it relates to business. You gotta remember your market, consumers in your market are no different than you and me. So when you ask them to do something on your website, they have one or two, one of two reactions, they fight or flee. So what I mean by that is they bounce off your site. So the most common thing that you see people do is in that ebook scenario that you mentioned, Adam, is that they uh, rush to provide an ebook in exchange for someone's contact information, name and email or email or name, email and phone number or something like that. The problem with that is you're asking people to take a big step and their brain is firing that fight or flight response. The warning bells are, are firing off because the brain is perceiving that as a threat. I don't want to give you my contact information. I don't know who you are. What spam are you going to send me? So instead they bounce off the site and they do nothing. But if you shrink the size of the step and ask them to do something that is much smaller than giving you their name and email, you can actually create what's called action taking momentum. So on our, in the process that I teach in ask, as an example, 
instead of beginning by asking for someone's name and email, which is a very threatening step, you begin by asking someone a simple multiple choice question. It's what we call a grease the wheels question. Question number one, are you starting an existing business or is this a new business? Question number one, are you self-employed or are you an employee? Question number one, it's a health market maybe, are you a man or a woman? You ask a simple, non-threatening, multiple choice question, which gets a much higher uptake than the name and email. And then you can ask a series of these simple, multiple choice questions, one question per screen, one at a time. And what's fascinating about this, and you know this, Adam, but for anyone listening to this, is that you might think, well, asking all these additional questions, isn't that gonna hurt my opt-in rate? So Adam, you mentioned 70% opt-in rate, which is excellent. Isn't this going to hurt my opt-in rate by asking for more information? Well, here's the crazy thing. We've done tests on this in literally hundreds of markets. And consistently, when you ask these additional questions, even though you're asking for more information, you actually improve your opt-in rate. And the cherry on top is that you've actually learned all this information about your prospect in addition to just having an email address with no information about them. You know their gender, you know where, what their business status is, you know uh, if they're left-handed or right-handed, whatever information is relevant for you to learn about that person in their business. So the hack that I wanna leave people with is to use the power of micro-commitments in your own life whenever you feel resistance towards making a change and in your business as a way to grow your audience and grow your revenue. I love that. Like Ryan, I mean, and this is why I knew that I wanted to have you on the show, especially as like one of the first guests. It's so accurate. And I love that when you talk about the micro commitment, you break it down to just like a step towards your shoe. This is something that I, I love micro commitments. You know, a lot of what you were saying, I'm sitting here nodding in the background, be like, yep, yep. I agree. 100%. I used to tell people, uh, one of my favorites is for the gym people that, that like a lot of the CEOs that I work with, um, they have issues in other areas of their life they want to fix. And uh, I'll say to them, Oh, I want you to do is block off an amount of time to go to the gym. It can be just seven minutes. You have to go to the gym. You don't have to work out. You can totally just come home afterwards. And uh, they, without fail, they're like, why would I go to the gym and not work out? I'm like, it's just to get used to the habit of going to the gym until you feel like you want to work out. And sure enough, after a a day of going to the gym and not working out, they're like, no, this is silly. I'm going to work out. And then they start working out. Love it, man. You know, we talked about the power of uh, asking the right questions at the beginning of this conversation. And we ended with asking the right questions when it comes to your own life. And the question to ask here is what step can you take that's so small, it's literally impossible for you to fail. And I would even challenge everyone listening to this interview right here, right now. What is one step you can take following this interview that's gonna lead you in the direction that you wanna lead? Not some time in the distant future, but literally right here, right now, today. In other words, what's your micro commitment having listened to this interview? Ryan, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the episode with us. And uh, and I look forward to catching up with you soon. Now, if you're new to the podcast and you want to learn more about how to build a smart business, then the absolute best place to start is with my Smart Blueprint ebook. Over 10,000 people have already gone through the book, and it's one of the most comprehensive resources on strategically building and growing your business that you can find anywhere for free. 
Just visit thesmartblueprint.com forward slash ebook to grab a free copy. And I'll see you on the next episode of Smart Businesses Do This.